Mark chapter 5, verse 21. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship to the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed and she shall live. Well, that's words of faith, isn't it? And Jesus went with him and much people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman, a certain woman, which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing better, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, You see the multitude thronging thee and you ask who touched me? And he looked around about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, listen carefully, daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. You should read it in the Greek. It literally means walk into peace and be whole of thy plague. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid. Everyone shout, Fear not. Fear not. Only believe. Say those words. One more time. Only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And when he sees the tumult, and them that wept and wailed, wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he said to them, Why make this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, she's sleeping. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he took the father and mother of the damsel, and them that were with him and entered in where the damsel was lying. And he take the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha kumai, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway she arose and walked, for she was of the age of 12 years. And they were astonished with great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it. And commanded that something should be given her to eat. I'm going to preach a message this morning entitled, How Do You See It? Say that to a few people around you. How do you see it? Or the power of perspective. Lord, I thank you for the anointing in this house that supercharges this atmosphere. 
And that anointing leads us and guides us to truth. That's what your word says. Your word also says that the anointing breaks the yoke. And so, Father, we stand directly opposed to any generational curse, any generational stronghold, any generational spirit that has attached itself to our families. We rebuke the devil in Jesus' name. We come after every principality and power and ruler in the heavenly realms, and we tell them to back up and back off of God's people. We say no trespassing on our property, no trespassing in our houses, no trespassing in our family. Lord, have your way in this building today. Touch every heart, touch every mind, touch every person, every body. Do what only you can do, Holy Ghost. Show up in this building and exhale on this congregation. Breathe on us, oh God. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Let everybody erupt with a big, strong praise to the Lord God before you sit down. Come on. Let's give Jesus praise. I want you to think about what he did for you. He died for you, was buried for you. But more than anything, he got up on the third day and he did it just for you. Hallelujah. Just shout, I love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You may be seated. God bless you today. You know, there's been a word, and I was telling the class uh, this morning in the stewardship class, and by the way, if you're missing that, I encourage you to start coming to that. Uh, and this is not in my notes, but I feel led to just share it with you. Um, for about a week and a half, two weeks, I've had this word in my spirit. I had it on my mind to the point that I've had a couple of dreams about this word. And the word is develop. Say that word. Develop. develop. And all of its superlatives, develop, developing, development. And it's just been turning over in my spirit. And I began to question the Lord about what did this mean? And this morning in prayer and preparation for our service, it began to unfold to me that development takes time. Development is a process. And that somehow in this generation, we have extracted the word development as it relates to our destiny. Um, even to the point you can see it in real time that when we used to take photos, you would have to take the film and get it what? Developed. And to get it developed properly, it had to go through a dark room. And it took time for it to go through that dark room. And we live in a time where no one wants to face the dark room. You can take your phone and take a picture and it exempts the process from the photo. In other words, it's already done. And life does not happen like that. Life, destiny unfolds itself for you. And when you take something that is being developed out of the process, you birth something that is deformed. Something that is not properly developed is ultimately deformed. And so God really spoke to me and said, let the story develop. Let it unfold. Many of us want to give a conclusion to the story before the story is fully read. Many of us want to give a conclusion to our lives before we really see where destiny is leading us. 
So I want to tell you, stop trying to operate in the mode of escaping situations. Because many times it's God using situations to develop you into the person you need to be to handle the place where you're going. Are y'all with me right there? And so I just had that in my mind and and on my heart. And I thought I would share that before we get into this word. But really it relates to this word. Because we see Jesus now slowing down in the process of going to a place to give an answer. Now, superficially reading that, you would think, number one, that's rude on his part. Because Jairus is the one that went to get him. Rhonda, is it your birthday? Happy birthday, Rhonda. And your best is yet to come. In Jesus' name. So where was I right there? I was just seeing if y'all listening. So you would think, superficially reading that, that Jesus was being rude and that he would stop on a journey to bring an answer to a situation to deal with another circumstance. Now let that rest right there. I'm going to talk to you about four words and uh, get, bring, bring definition to them and, and then we're going to walk right through this message and God's going to touch you in a powerful way. Um, the first word is this word, perception. Say that word, perception. Perception is the attaining of understanding or it is the comprehension or the capacity for it. It is your comprehension or the capacity for comprehension. So perception is what you see, what you see as a result of what you understand. So what are you saying there, Pastor Rick? You can only see as far as you understand. Y'all just missed that right there. You can only see as far as you can understand. Knowledge does not give you sight. Knowledge gives you insight. But understanding gives you foresight. That's why Jesus said what a man understands cannot be taken from him. Solomon's going to say it like this. With all you're getting, get understanding. Paul's going to say it like this. Understanding establishes you. Are y'all with me? So perspective is a powerful thing. Um, Perception is a powerful thing. The next word is paradigm. Paradigm means a framework that has been established by a pattern of things. So where... Perception is what you see as as a result of what you understand. A paradigm is a framework that has been established by a pattern of what you have seen. It's why you see a thing the way you see it. So a paradigm is framed and formed by experiences in life. So we see certain situations through filters. And we call that paradigms. It's why you see it the way you see it. The third word is perspective. And perspective is the relation of of parts of a subject. It's the parts of a thing, perspective. In other words, it's how you put it all together. It's how you see a thing, and it's often expressed by your opinion. 
when you say, this is how I see it. And some people just need to be informed that just because that's how you see it, <laughs> that's not how everybody else sees it. In other words, it's looking at a suspense movie and saying, this is how I see that this will work out. You call that your perspective. Our perspective, very important, is an ingredient in life that is influenced by our attitudes. Bad attitudes produce flawed perspectives. Preach here, pastor. Bad attitudes produce flawed perspectives. Your attitude must be controlled by direction and not by drama. I'm going to say it one more again. Your attitude must be controlled by direction, not by drama. Your attitude must be controlled by purpose, not by your problems. Hmm. I tell people all the time, be very careful who you hook up with. Do not let attraction be de the determining factor in relationships. It's not the attraction that should cause you to be in a relationship with someone. It's direction. You can be attracted and go in two different ways. And you're going to have frustration and friction in your relationship. Woo. So your perspective is very powerful in relation to the direction of your life. And if your attitude is bad, your perspective is going to be bad. And the only way you get a bad attitude is by believing something unfair is going on in your life. Mm. Everybody don't hate you. Everyone is not out to get you. Everyone does not have an intention to bring damage to your life. When you start believing that, that people are against you, that people are hating on you, before long you start developing a bad attitude. The bad attitude starts giving you a perspective about everybody. Let's talk about you and yourself in relation to perspective. There are four quadrants of perspective in relation to how you see yourself. Number one is this, what you see in yourself. Number two is what people see in you and you see it too. But listen to number three. What people see in you but you do not see it in you. Thank God for people that see stuff in us that we don't see in ourselves. And then number four, and this is paramount. What God sees in you and you do not see and people do not see. What God sees in you, you don't see it and other people don't see it. But God sees it. Everybody could not see Peter being a founding apostle. But Jesus could see it. A person will always be directed toward what he imagines himself to be. A person will always be directed toward what he imagines himself to be. 
If you think you are a nobody going nowhere, guess what you are? I'm going to preach whether you're going to help me preach or not. You, you are a nobody going nowhere. But when you start saying things like this to yourself, the word of God says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. All my days were written before one of them came to pass. The Bible says of me that I am more than a conqueror through Christ who gives me strength. The Bible says of me that I am the head and not the tail. That I am in front and not behind. The Bible says I'm blessed in the city. I'm blessed in the field. I'm blessed when I come. I'm blessed when I go. What are you saying, Pastor Rick? Start saying what he said and not what people have seen. Stop saying what God has said about you and not what people have seen in you and not what you have seen in yourself. What's important is what has been said, not what has been seen. Perspective. Let's take it deeper. It's that which pertains to the science of vision. If your vision is off, your perspective is off. Talk here. If your vision is off, your perspective will always be off. Have you heard words like this? It is in perspective or it is out of perspective. Yeah, well, when it's in perspective, the object is the right size for the picture. And it gives you an idea of the distance in 3D vision of the subject from its circumstances, situations, or environment. When it's in perspective, it is a proper setting. But when it's out of perspective, the subject doesn't seem to be in the right place in the picture. God spoke to me when I studied this and said many people, vision is out of perspective. In other words, they see it in a place that is not really yet. It's exactly where it's supposed to be. They are seeing it the wrong way. Have you ever been in a conversation and thought you were saying something that somebody else totally misunderstood? You were saying one thing and they heard another thing. That means their hearing was off or you wasn't saying it right. Regardless, it was out, it was taken out of perspective. God spoke to me and said, we are in a time in this nation and in the church where things are out of perspective. And it's not God's fault. God hasn't moved. God hasn't changed his mind. God's plan has not been changed. God is sovereign. God is in control. It's not what he's doing. It's how you are seeing it. Hmm. This leads me to my final word, not my final point. Paradigm, perception, perspective, but finally, prospective. Prospective is a word that relates to the effectiveness of something in its future. Pro is for the future, prospective. It pertains to when you see something happening or occurring. Prospective comes from the word prospect. Say the word prospect. 
Holy Ghost spoke to me and said these words, if we were seeing people correctly, we would see them as prospects having the potential for doing the job rather than suspects. They are probably going to mess up. You ever heard somebody say, well, he's suspect? <laughs> Do you know someone? Yeah, I know him, but he, he's suspect. What if believers would just change that vocabulary? And people talk to you about other people, and you would say, yeah, but he's a prospect. What does that mean? He might not be everything that he's supposed to be, but he's absolute, absolutely not everything that he's going to be. If you start seeing people in their future and stop locking them in their past, you got them in a chapter and God's trying to write a book. You trying to hold them in a place of arrested development, which means the last time you saw them or heard about them, they was in a mess. But what you did not know was that that was a chapter that was included in the book, not the conclusion of the book. You are not everything you are going to be. You might be in a place that's uncomfortable. You might be in a place of pain. You might be in a place where your life feels like you're in jeopardy. I came by to encourage you. He that began a good work in you shall also complete it. I dare you to shout, I'm not finished yet. I'm not done. So perspective, perspective vision, vision of the future, results oftentimes in optimistic behavior. There's nothing worse than trying to go forward while being connected to a pessimist. Pessimistic people cause problems. I don't want to go too deep with y'all, but I, I'm going to dive anyway. Where does optimism come from? Optimist and optimist. Literally, it comes from two words, opti, which means vision, mist, which means fog. An optimist is a person who has the ability to see through the fog. Everything around you may be cloudy right now, but there's something inside of you says, there's a new day coming. Something inside of you says, the glory of the latter shall be greater than the glory of the former. I'm going to give you a 10-second praise break to thank God you have a great future in front of you. Why is that? Because you serve an optimistic God. God said, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and to give you what? A great future. Well, that was my introduction. That was my introduction. Let's look at the story now in relation to paradigm, perception, perspective, and prospective. Let's look at the story. First of all, I want you to notice the daughter dilemma. The daughter dilemma. You see it, right, Josh? You see it? The daughter dilemma is this, that Jesus is on the way to heal someone's daughter and was touched by someone he called daughter. Both were sick. The daughter dilemma. Both were sick. One is 12 years old. One has an issue of blood 
for 12 years. 12 is the number of government. One is being governed by an issue. One is being governed by a sickness that is not described, but we know it is unto death. One has carried it. One has just been introduced to it. When Jesus uses the word daughter, he is saying, you are part of my family. You are not an outsider. So you really can't interrupt me. Because family with problems that you really love, it's impossible for them to interrupt you because you love them enough to give attention to their situation. If we could ever become family, we would stop getting on people's nerves. All right. But watch this delay. Mark chapter 5 verse 21 talks about this guy named Jairus. His name means to illuminate or to enlighten. I believe he's about to come upon a revelation that's going to change his life. The Bible says he besought Jesus. Literally, it means he prayed to him. Verse 23 says he besought him greatly saying, my little daughter lieth at the point of death. Come lay hands on her. She'll be healed and she shall live. He knew the condition of his family member. Do you? Do you know where your children are in their developmental stages? Do you know where your spouse is? How are they doing? He knew. And he says to Jesus, She's at the point of death. She's at the extremity of life. She's at the finish line of living. While he's saying this, verse 25 says, a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years. And then for 10 verses, help me Jesus, for 10 verses, you do not even see Jesus address Jairus. For 10 verses after that, the whole subject becomes a woman with an issue of blood. Help me preach here. All of a sudden, the plan is interrupted. The journey seems to be jeopardized. A woman out of nowhere shows up and Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house and she shuts down the whole, the whole progress toward his daughter's healing. Hmm. I thought this. This woman with the issue of blood delayed Jairus' answer. The word delay means to put off or postpone for a time. It implies holding back for completion or arrival. But to detain means held up beyond a reasonable time due to another circumstance. You remember when Daniel's angel was coming down to give him an answer after 21 days? It took 21 days. Why? Because the angel was detained while carrying the answer. I want to encourage some of you, your answer is on the way. 
Don't lose patience with the promise. Jesus did not procrastinate because if he procrastinates, that means he's lazy. And he's operating out of apathy and not sympathy. Jesus did not loiter. If he's loitering, that suggests an aimless waste of time. Jesus was detained. He was not distracted. He delayed the trip. Listen to this carefully. And he did it on purpose. You're going to tell me he's God in the flesh and he can't do both things at one time? We already know he can send his word because he did it for another person. We already know he can send his word and they would be healed. But he didn't send his word and he didn't go. He stopped. And he did it on purpose. When he pauses, he only pauses on purpose. He was operating, don't miss this folks, according to destiny, not Jairus' desire. A delay does not mean a denial. Jesus made it very plain. He said, I don't do anything that's not on my father's calendar. I only do what I see my father doing. The son can do nothing of himself. But what he sees the father do, that's what he also does. See, a lot of people have trouble with this scripture. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So what's the purpose of the delay? Why did Jesus stop the journey to Jairus' house? What is the purpose of the delay? Vicki, if you ever asked God for something and it seemed like it took forever to get there, but then it finally got there. Yeah. So the purpose of the delay was to bring greater glory. See, we have trouble with that. Let me help all y'all. Your answer ain't about you. Your answer is about him. He don't do it for you. He does it for his name's sake. You are the beneficiary of serving a good God. We take everything so personal that we think God's going to operate according to our command, according to our need, according to our directive. When he answers you, he only answers you to give for you to give him glory. So if he delays the answer, it's for greater glory. Now some of you are saying, you're going to have to give me scripture on that, Pastor Rick. Of course I will. John chapter 11, verse 4. You remember the guy named Lazarus? Do you remember them sisters going to Jesus and saying, you need to get here? Lazarus is dying. 
Verse 4 of chapter 11 says, when Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified. Did y'all just hear that right there? I'm going to say it again. This sickness is not unto death. This sickness is for the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified by it. What is God trying to get out of you? Your story is only written to bring him glory. So he waits four more days, Lance, because I know you listening. Four more days for Lazarus to die. Wait a minute, you just said this sickness was not under death. He never said he would not die. He did die. What Jesus said is death is not the end. I'm going to go so far as to say this. Some of y'all need to let some stuff die. Some of you keep resuscitating things in your life that's unhealthy for your well-being. If you'll let it die and it belongs to you, then Jesus will bring it back to life and put it back in your life. If he says it happens for my glory, it is for the purpose of bringing worship and praise back to me. The delay would bring far greater glory. Let me encourage you in something. Do not allow his inactivity to cause you to question his love. He's up to something. Do not allow God's inactivity to cause you to question his love. God is up to something if he's delaying your answer. It is a greater miracle. Let me ask you this question. Is it a greater miracle to heal a sick man or to raise a dead man? Y'all just missed that one right over your head. What's a greater miracle? To raise a dead man. He would get honor for healing the sick, but he's done that before. He ain't never raised a dead man. What are you saying, Pastor Rick? He's about to do something for you that he's never done before. Why? To bring him greater glory. I'll finish this thing. I want you to notice the dialogue. He said unto her, daughter, your faith, the woman with the issue of blood, has made you whole. In verse 34, but verse 35 says, while he spake, a ruler came and said, your daughter is dead. Two people speaking at the same time. Jesus is speaking. Your faith, daughter, your faith has made you whole. The troublemaker is speaking. Your daughter is dead. At the same time, Jesus and trouble is speaking at the same time. Y'all just missed that right there. Daughter, your faith has made you whole. At the same time, your daughter is dead. You want me to tell you what I believe? Jesus was speaking to both daughters at the same time. Jesus was speaking healing and wholeness to daughter. Any daughter. Jesus heard it. It's not what you see that will always adjust your perspective and perspective. It's what he says that should adjust it. 
Do you remember in John chapter 6, he said unto them, verse 20, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the ship was at the land. When they saw him walking, they thought they saw a ghost. They were afraid. But when they heard him talking, sometimes when we look at the situation, we don't know it's God moving stuff around. We get afraid. That's why it's important for you to know that you do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Stop reacting to what you see. Start responding to what God said. If God said we go into the other side, I don't care what the storm says. Live according to his word, not according to the wind that you see blowing stuff around. Perspective can be changed by what is said as quickly as by what is seen. What did God say? What did he say? Powerful. Then when he gets to Jairus' house, finally, what's the first thing he did, does? He puts everybody out. Y'all know what y'all need to do? Get out the house. Because the last thing I need to hear you saying is stuff that is diametrically opposed to what God is about to do. And notice what he called her. Talitha Kumai, my daughter, arise. But he said it where everyone would understand as much as that girl with the issue of blood was my daughter, this also is my daughter. And he said to her, Get up. And watch what he said. Get the girl something to eat. They called it death. He called it sleeping. Some of y'all think some stuff is dead in your life. And it's only sleeping. All it needs is a word to get up. Are y'all hear what I'm saying to you? All it needs is a word to get up. Quit, quit writing stuff off so quick. It's dead. That part is dead. No, it ain't dead. It's just sleeping. All it needs is a word from the Lord. Do you love him today? Listen, I encourage you. Keep things in proper perspective. When you share your perspective, you're sharing your opinion about something, and you don't know everything. What you think is a mess could be God rearranging stuff to get glory out of it. What you think is a total loss could be God removing stuff for you to get to the place you're supposed to be. God is good. I'm going to give you five principles. Number one, do not allow your paradigm to be the producer of your perspective. Don't allow what you've been through to be the producer of how you see stuff now. I hope you don't miss this. Do not allow your experiences to adjust your expectations. Do not allow your experiences in your past to, to adjust the expectations you have for your future. Number two, divine delays are not denials. The delay in your life is creating a greater glory for your future. Number three, Choose to operate according to destiny and not just your desires. 
Choose principle over preference. Number four, never allow what you perceive to be God's inactivity to allow you to question his love. And finally, number five, always allow God's word to frame your perspective and perspective. Always allow God's word to frame your perspective, to frame your perspective and your perspective in the name of Jesus. I preached all that to cause you to be encouraged, to let you know. Because it's not happening right now does not mean God's not in it. Because it's not turning out the way you saw it does not mean God's not in it. Let God be sovereign. And if it's not here when you pray, you keep your faith until things change. Can you say amen to that?